Well, today is Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration, now there's a good Christian word, transfiguration. Doesn't that sound nice? No one besides Christians seems to use it very much. It's kind of a funny word. It always reminds me of Calvin and Hobbes and their transmogrifier that they would play with. It's kind of an odd word, and it comes from an odd story. I just read it to you. The first line of the story says, after six days... Well, that leads us to ask six days after what? And it's interesting, both both Matthew and Mark make this note about six days. Six days after what? Well, to find out, the reading comes from Matthew 17. We back up to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 comes before Matthew 17, and it tells us, Now, when Jesus came into into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And six days later, this odd, amazing story occurs. Why six days? Well, we're supposed to remember an earlier story, a much earlier story. In fact, we're supposed to reflect on the story we read from our Old Testament reading this morning where six days show up again. When Moses receives the law from God on Mount Sinai, God invites Moses to ascend the mountain. And then for six days, Moses and Joshua sit on top of that mountain. My wife and I talked about this on the way in. After a few hours, I think we'd be going, was I supposed to come up here? By day four, you're like, come on, God, I climbed up here and we were waiting. Six days go by and then God speaks out of the cloud and calls Moses to come closer to him. And Moses goes higher up the mountain to enter the cloud and to stand in the presence of God. Six days after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, who's the prophet like Moses, and three disciples climbed the mountain. Like Moses, the disciples found themselves enveloped in a cloud of glory. Like Moses, they heard the voice of God speaking out of the cloud. Like Moses, Jesus began to radiate the glory of God. And who should they encounter while on the mountain? But Moses himself. And who else appears with Moses? Elijah. The only other character in the Bible to have also ascended Sinai and heard the voice of God speaking to him from the top of the mountain. And he also appears on the mountain. Clearly, we're supposed to remember those events. Well, we'll come back to Moses and Elijah. And then the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, go with Jesus. And that itself is unusual. Jesus usually goes off by himself to pray alone, but he takes these three with him. And why these three? Did they just happen to be free that day? Like Matthew was busy filing income taxes? Or or Jesus says, Thomas, you think you can climb the mountain with us? And Thomas says, I doubt it. Um, But for some reason, these three are selected. And... It's worth reflecting on why these three. One of them does not become a future leader in the church because he's martyred very early, and that's James. Well, they climb to the top of the mountain, and Jesus begins to shine with light. I like Mark's telling of the story. He says, wider than any laundry soap can wash white cloth. Jesus begins to shine, radiating light, not reflecting light, but radiating it out of this cloud And who shows up but Moses and Elijah, two heroes to every Jewish kid, 
Moses is the lawgiver, a military general, a miracle worker, a great explorer. And also here, a sign of God's grace. You may remember back to the Moses story. Out of Moses' pride and anger, God says, you can't enter into the promised land. Yet here, after his death, where is Moses standing? But in the promised land, a symbol of God's grace. And Elijah, a prophet who excelled at embarrassing the Gentiles. And according to legend, would announce when the last days occur and announce the coming of the Messiah. Even today in the Passover service, the Seder service, Jewish people will leave an empty chair at the table for Elijah, just in case Elijah shows up and announces that the Messiah is coming. Just in case he would show up, there's a chair for them, for him. So Moses and Elijah are there, and then comes a cloud, and then out of the cloud comes the voice of God, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Well, the whole story is rather odd. Something else odd about the transfiguration, and it's kind of interesting liturgically, is that in our tradition we remember the transfiguration of Jesus twice a year. The Feast of the Transfiguration is always on August 6th. But here we are on Sunday talking about the Transfiguration. The last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. It's also devoted to a reading from one of the Transfiguration accounts. So why do we read about it twice a year? Where I read about today what we'll also be reading about in August. Well, today is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And there are two reasons why we read the story on the last Sunday of Epiphany. One reason looks backwards, and one reason looks forward. Epiphany is about the light coming on. Like those old CFL bulbs, compact fluorescent light bulbs. You remember them? While I was in the library going over this sermon, I just happened to look, I was reading about CFL bulbs. I looked over on the shelf, and I found this. CFL bulbs. I was going to I have it all written out to describe them to you, but I can show one to you. Remember the little curly Q guys? Remember those? The experts told us they'd be the wave of the future. They stopped making incandescent light bulbs, and we all had to buy these CFL bulbs. And they were full of mercury gas. And if you dropped one, you had to call the fire department and have the hazmat come out and, and, and help you. Seriously, on the back here. It's a, it has an EPA website and the address to go to to find out how to clean up mercury gas. It says it on the back twice in two different places. In fact, I'm getting kind of nervous holding them here. I'm going to put them over there. Because remember, you, you, we all changed our light bulbs out, okay? Terrified we were going to drop one of them. And then you remember when you flicked on the light, nothing happened? And then very slowly, the light would start to come on. It was the most frustrating thing. You walk into a dark room looking for somebody, hit the light switch, and standing there. But gradually, gradually, the light, which starts off very dim, is bright enough that you can see something, at least. Um, and even then, you couldn't really see anything with them. But the, the, then, and then all of a sudden, the experts decided it wasn't a good idea after all, so we all went to LEDs, right? And, well, seems like only a few years ago, it was only a few years ago. But anyway, Epiphany is kind of like that. You flip the switch and there's a little bit of light and then gradually the light gets brighter and brighter and we begin to see who Jesus is. And the season of Epiphany always starts with a reading about the wise men following a dim little tiny light, a star in the sky. And Epiphany always ends with a big blast of light at the transfiguration. 
So we look backward to the growth of light from a little star in the sky to this odd, amazing scene. And we're also looking forward to the next season on the church calendar, the season of Lent. And the Wednesday after the last Sunday of Epiphany always marks the beginning of Lent. Today we have Transfiguration Sunday. Monday is Colopy Monday. You may never have heard of that. It's only common in a small place in England, but the collops of bacon or the sides of bacon. And you cooked bacon on Colopy Monday, so you had bacon grease to make pancakes for Shrove Tuesday. I think I'm going to suggest to Mrs. Kim we have Colopy Monday and just eat a whole bunch of bacon next year. But Tuesday is Shrove Tuesday, and we're going to meet here at the church and have pancakes. My wife will probably let me eat even one. And then Ash Wednesday. Well, we always read about the Transfiguration on the Sunday before Lent. In the season of Lent, for 40 days, we celebrate the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, you heard that right. We celebrate the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we glory in the cross. What to others seem a scandal of humiliating shame, the early church took as its symbol and bore it with pride. And we celebrate our Lord's humiliation with pride. We glory in the cross. So during Lent, we try to avoid proclaiming Alleluia, not always successfully, but we try to avoid it. That reminds us that Christ lived in humility amongst us, away from the choirs and angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We replace, starting next Sunday, our silver vessels with clay vessels. We remember that Jesus left the riches and glories of heaven to dwell among us. And as Lent goes on, we intensify this celebration of humiliation until eventually on Monday, Thursday, the altar is empty and bare. Everything you see up here goes away and we silently sit gathered in the darkness. Of course, we know that just like morning follows the night, Easter follows Lent. But we also know that we do not understand Easter until we understand Lent. And I suggest to you that we do not understand Lent until we understand the Transfiguration. So it would follow that we don't understand Easter without understanding the Transfiguration. Jesus himself connects the Transfiguration to Easter. Matthew tells us in the reading, right at the end of this reading, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And after all, who was Jesus appeared with but a resurrected Moses and a resurrected Elijah? Christians claim that Jesus is divine, God in the flesh, God with us. But we also claim that if you want to see Jesus' definitive most fully on display, you must look, however surprisingly, at Jesus' humiliation and his suffering and eventually at his shameful death. The King of Kings is enthroned on a cross. His coronation day is his crucifixion day. And we don't understand the horror of the cross until we understand the glory of the one who hung on it. But we don't understand the glory of the one who hung on it until we understand the horror of the cross. And the two must be seen together. And the transfiguration gives us the counterpoint to the crucifixion. Here on a mountaintop in Galilee, Jesus is revealed in the fullness of his divine glory. While there on the hilltop outside Jerusalem, Jesus is revealed in shameful nakedness and humiliation. Here his clothes are shining white as light, Matthew says. 
There the purple robe will be ripped from his lashed back and soldiers will gamble for his blood-stained garments. Here he's flanked by an honor guard of Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest heroes. While there he's going to be flanked by two criminals, thieves representing the depravity of the people's, the depths of the people's depravity. Here radiant brightness bursts on the scene. There darkness will cover the entire land. Here, Peter can't help but blurt out how wonderful it is to be in the presence of Jesus. While there, Peter will cry in shame after denying that he even knows Jesus. Here, a voice from God the Father himself declares that this is his beloved Son. There, God the Father forsakes him. Heaven is silent and it's left to a a rough pagan soldier to, to declare that this man truly was the Son of God. Matthew tells us that Jesus ordered his disciples not to speak of this event until he had been raised from the dead. And maybe now we understand why. We don't understand the cross unless we understand the glory of the one who hung upon it. And in the transfiguration, we have three eyewitnesses of Jesus' glory. But even these two things, the glory of Jesus and the horror of the cross, are not sufficient for us. We cannot behold the glory of Jesus until we do what the Father told us to do. The Father told us to listen to him. And we must listen to Jesus. If we want to know who Jesus is, we must listen to him. Listen to him today. Listen to him in the remainder of the service as he's speaking to you. It's his in name we pray. Amen.